You can probably tell by looking at me that I like the alternative side of life. I love horror, hardcore punk rock, uh, experimental literature and poetry, many other things that some of my high school class fellow graduates who are now bankers and lawyers might not approve of or even might be scared of, right? We can only hope. <laughs> well, you know, as a kid, I was not good at sports, not super popular with the cool guys, with the girls, was bullied. So you become kind of an outcast, but then you learn to embrace it, right? And I think that's what attracts many of us to this genre, or this, this general genre of things, the dark side of things. We're not bad people. We're just outcasts, and we embraced it. So I wanted to mention this. Um, one of my favorite bands of all time is the Misfits, right? They're horror punk kind of pioneers um, way back in the late 70s, early 80s, and they still play today, still get together and play today, the Misfits, and all of their incarnations. I love Glenn Danzig as the singer. I love uh, Michael Graves as a singer. I love all those guys. So I was amused to learn that in 1982, after one of their shows in New Orleans, they, <clears throat> they, the band and a few of their fans broke into St. Louis Cemetery Number 2, to try to find the tomb of voodoo queen Marie Laveau, Marie Laveau, to try to steal a few of her bones, apparently. <laughs> and uh, she's actually buried in St. Louis number one, but that was just a mistake. Anyway, they were caught and arrested, and uh, I just think that's kind of a funny story. It made the local papers, and they, they said things like, noted that several of the women wore mohawk hairstyles, you know, scandalous, absolutely scandalous, even for New Orleans at that time. By the way, you know that I write books, right? Um, I'm a horror writer, and I write, uh, well, I have my first series of books out on Amazon called uh, the Gravediggers series, and it's about a punk rock band, a failing punk rock band, who encounter monsters and all sorts of horrible situations. It's comedy horror, actually, horror comedy. And um, it's available now, not only in Kindle, not only on Kindle uh, paperback, but also in audiobook format. That's right, I, your faithful host, Matthew Miller, recorded the audio for the book. And don't worry, it's not amateurish because they don't accept it at ACX unless you unless it sounds the right way and it has to be within a certain noise range and so forth. So it's professional, right? So take a look, take a check, uh, look on Amazon. Um, the first series, the first book in the series is called Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story, and it's on audiobook now. And by the way, the drummer for the Misfits during some of their career, David Calabrese, uh, his stage name is Dr. Chud, and he's, by the way, he's an amazing drummer. He's really good, and he's done some solo work, too. He's read my books, and he loves them. And I was kind of starstruck when he actually messaged me on Facebook and told me that. I'd sent out a few free copies to some of these guys. And, um, yeah, Dr. Chud, man, he's read the books. He loves them. And uh, so if you like punk rock and misfits and horror and all that stuff, check them out, man. Dr. Chud loves them. You should, he'll love them, too. I did, I'm not doing a wine review this week. I couldn't find anything really worth reviewing. Um, I was a little busy, but I'll find something for next time. As you may know, I'm also a college professor, and it's uh, final exam time, so I was a little too busy to search for wine. I will, however, find something for next time. All right, welcome to Fangs and Folklore. Okay. Um, Marie Laveau, Marie Laveau. You know the name of the famous voodoo queen of New Orleans, Marie Laveau? She's definitely the stuff of legend, that's for sure. But how much of it is true? Who was she? You might be surprised to learn about her life and learn about the sort of person she was. She remains a very, very important and historical figure in New Orleans history. And you know that I grew up partially in New Orleans, from Louisiana, know the city, spent a lot of time in the city. And, you know, it's, she's important to me because of this reason. She is venerated today by voodoo practitioners in New Orleans as being a great queen or priestess, voodoo priestess, a great queen of voodoo. 
She's also sometimes confused with her daughter, Marie Laveau II, perhaps on purpose. Some people believe that as the Marie, the mother, was getting older, she had her daughter dress like her and then be seen all around town looking like her. She looked very much like her to start a legend that Marie never aged or never died, something like that. That's just a theory, but it's a fun one, uh, possibly true. So her name, her full name is Marie-Catherine Laveau, obviously a French name. She was born September 10th, 1801, 1801, which I think is the year Queen Victoria died. That would have made her, her, she was born in the Victorian age, technically, and then died June 15th, 1881. A Louisiana native, practitioner of voodoo, she was an herbalist also, a kind of a witch doctor woman, doctor woman, and also a midwife. And she was famous in her time in New Orleans. Uh, like I said, her daughter, Marie Laveau II, practiced root work, which is like conjuring, magic conjuring, and uh, as well as Native American um, kind of religion and African religion, as well as New Orleans voodoo. <clears throat> uh, she was born a free woman of color in New Orleans. Now, when the French ruled New Orleans, it's kind of hard to talk about because we know there were slaves, right? Slavery existed, and that's a terrible thing. You know, it's just a, a blot, a shame on the history of the South and, and New Orleans itself. That being said, New Orleans was the first place where slaves were being freed. They could buy their freedom or they could be set free by their, you know, I hate to say it, but masters, owners. And um, there was a class of, of people in New Orleans, free people of color, or Creole sometimes called, they were not slaves, even though they were black or partially black. In Louisiana, if you were even one drop black, you were black. Okay, And so they were free people of color in the city. One of the only places in the world where that occurred, where you could have this class of people, and some of them were mistresses to, uh, some of the women were mistresses to wealthy white men. And so um, these people actually could also, could also own slaves. The black free people of color could own their own slaves, which is kind of hard to stomach why they would want to anyway. Yeah, so that's kind of weird. Uh, she was a free person of color in New Orleans. So she was black for sure, and she was the biological daughter of Charles Laveau, and her mother was Marguerite d'Arcontel. Okay, so um, she married Jacques Paris, uh, Jacques Paris, who was also a free man of color, who had uh, escaped from the Haitian Revolution, which was brutal, in uh, Saint-Domingue uh, Saint in Haiti. And you can still see Marie Laveau's marriage certificate in the San Luis Cathedral. If you've been to New Orleans, you know the center of the old town is Jackson Square, center of the French Quarter, where it was founded. The St. Louis Cathedral is a prominent cathedral there, right at the, at the head of the square. You can see their marriage certificate in there. <laughs> so every, if you ever go, take a look. Um, so she was married a Catholic. <clears throat> now, uh, let's see. She had two daughters, Félicité and Angèle. Both uh, are not documented very well after that. And apparently Jacques Paris was a carpenter, so she married a carpenter. Now, uh, Jacques Paris, her husband, died in 1820. And so basically she, uh, she mourned, as was proper, but then she met another man, Christophe Dominique Dominique de Glapion, so Glapion, who was a French nobleman. And, you know, a lot of these French noblemen were enchanted by these women of color, never having, having experienced people of color being... Um, you know, civilized, educated, charming. Uh, they'd never seen that before, and they were enchanted by them. So she, she didn't marry uh, Glapion, but she lived with him in a civil, civil marriage, I guess, kind of thing. And he died in 1855. They had 15 children, <laughs> and I'm not going to name them all. There's no real benefit to that for us, but yeah, a lot, huh? Um, okay. <clears throat> Marie herself, Marie Laveau, owned at least seven slaves. 
during your lifetime. Hard for me to imagine a black person owning a slave, seeing what their fellow descendants of Africans are going through, but it was a different time, it was a different culture, and it just really messed up time in human history, you know. So uh, she, she did good works, Marie Laveau. She would go visit prisoners, especially those on death row, and comfort them, pray with them. <clears throat> she um, sometimes would apparently give them potions that they could take before being hanged that would take away the pain. Um, she, uh, she was very Catholic. She was devout Catholic, Marie Laveau, believe that or not. She was accepted by the Catholic Church in full communion, uh, which means that the priest and the bishop and everyone accepted her. <clears throat> and she would go to church, go to Mass regularly. She would go, when she'd visit these prisoners, she would pray with them in the Catholic manner, pray to God and then Jesus, Mary, the saints, you know, pray, ask for prayers from them. And she was successful in getting some pardons for death row inmates. In fact, uh, often successful. It happened quite a few times. Now, you'll see in a minute why that might have been the case, may have been the case. She was very involved behind the scenes in New Orleans social life. She knew all the secrets. She knew where all the bodies were hidden, so to speak, right? Yes, she was Catholic, but she was also very much a voodoo priestess. Uh, uh, she was a healer, but she practiced voodoo. And, and as we've seen in this series, voodoo is an amalgamation of traditional African religions uh, with New World Catholicism and just New World isolation that turned into its own thing. Laveau, uh, there's a quote that said from, a, from a, a boy who knew her, who lived at that time, who was like an altar boy. He said, Laveau was said to have traveled the streets like she owned them. So you can imagine her flaunting about town. She was beautiful, dressed very well. <clears throat> and uh, her daughter, Marie Laveau II, was even more theatrical. <laughs> uh, she would apparently walk around with a big snake, a python, around her shoulders. There's some uh, belief that Marie I also carried a snake around. She was the queen of voodoo in New Orleans, the queen of voodoo. <clears throat> and though a couple of people challenged that here and there, no one ever successfully really seriously challenged that. She, was, she would uh, have all sorts of people go to see her for help, even rich white people who would go in secret sometimes at night. All sorts of things with uh, relationships, um, your health, you know, your money. Uh, she would advise on these things. She would make potions and herbs and sometimes perform voodoo. <clears throat> rituals to help with these things, as well as the darker side of voodoo, which, yes, includes hexing and going after your enemies. Now, next episode, which will be the last one in this series, I'm going to talk about hoodoo, which is really dark, but voodoo also includes some dark stuff. <clears throat> um, she um, was a good leader, and because she was such an active person in helping the sick, the poor, prisoners, and regarded as a good person, she was accepted as a leader in town. Now, she had a beauty parlor, okay, a beauty parlor. She was a hairdresser for a lot of people, but especially wealthy white families. And <clears throat> through them, her clients, and through a network of slaves and servants, black slaves and servants around town, she learned everything about all these families, all the secrets, all the plots, you know, all the things behind the scenes. And she would use those things <laughs> to, well... Uh, I guess to manipulate people, you could say. Uh, you know, she, she knew things. And also, presumably, she used some of that knowledge to make herself look more magical in the eyes of the people. You know, like you've seen tele... I'm not saying she was a fraud, don't get me wrong. But you've seen televangelists, you know, they already know that the person, someone out there has a bad back, and say, I sense someone out there has a bad back, you know, wow. 
God told him, well, he already knew. It may, be, it may have been something like that. I'm not saying she's a fraud, just that she was very good at obtaining inside information and using that to instill fear of her and her powers or to, um, to you know, manipulate people. Marie Laveau, she was, um, <clears throat> uh, like I said, very Catholic, very good person in some ways. And Marie, uh, well, her full name after she was... Uh, with the second guy, Glapion, her full name is Marie-Catherine Lavaux, Paris Glapion. Okay, that's the traditional French way there. You would see that, you know, Marie-Catherine is her first and middle name, Catholic names. Then Lavaux was her family name. Paris was the, the name of her first husband, her married name. Then Glapion was the civil union. So Marie-Catherine Lavaux, Paris Glapion. <laughs> she died on June 15th, 1881, at 79 years of age. Um, so... Um, Let's see. There is a tradition in New Orleans that, uh, still to this day, that she was seen after her death around town. And to this day, people who live around St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, who, who, where she's buried, uh, or where she's entombed, you don't bury underground in New Orleans, it's too wet, you have to do it above ground. In that cemetery, people live, who live around it, some of them have claimed seeing her walking around at night, uh, like it's her ghost or spirit or resurrected or something. Very creepy. Um, some people say, well, the reason that back then, in the 1800s, people saw her around town was that was her daughter, Marie Lobo II, taking on her features and kind of continuing her tradition and making it mysterious. Was she immortal? Was that her resurrected from the dead? Um, so um, she was, like we said, uh, surrounded by myth and legends and lores. Today, you can go to St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, which is right not far across Rampart Street from the French Quarter, Right there, and um, and uh, where she's buried, her tomb, her family vault, the Glapion Crypt. Okay, you have the crypts, right? The vaults, and the bodies are stored in them above ground. That's the way we do it in New Orleans. Now, unfortunately, people vandalized it so much that these days the Catholic Church doesn't allow people to just go visit the cemetery. You have to go on an official tour, no other way in, unless you're like the misfits and you break in late, late at night or early in the morning. But they went to the wrong cemetery anyway. But there are still, if you go see your tomb. There's lots of X's on it. That is a, a way in some voodoo belief to ask her for a favor. You ask her for a favor, you pray for something, you leave her an offering, and you draw a couple of X's or three X's on there. And it's supposed to, um, you know, she's supposed to grant your favor or grant your wish. So what you do is um, basically you leave her an offering, you draw an X on the tomb, you turn around three times, I think it's counterclockwise, I think. You knock on the tomb three times, yell out what she wanted to do for you, and then, if it happens, you go back, uh, put a circle around your ex, and leave her another offering. That's the, that's the tradition, right? Mm, she, like I said, and her daughter, one of them at least, carried around a large python named Zombie, named Zombie, which is a West African uh, language name for spirit. And she, uh, like I said, she would manipulate rich white people and threaten them and scare them. Uh, because of her salon, she would even go so far as to, you know, hex them and curse them with black magic. And if you know, uh, if you know something about the power of suggestion <laughs> and sympathetic magic, you know, I'm not saying that this is not real voodoo. Okay, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, though, if a very powerful voodoo priestess, <laughs> and the rumor is she does magic, if she she curses you and says you're going to have stomach problems, you might have stomach problems later, not because necessarily it's magic, because of the power of suggestion. Or if you do have stomach problems, you're going to attribute it to that. There may have been some of that going on, uh, but we don't know. Or she may have been truly magical. 
you know, I, like I've said before, I wouldn't do this Fangs and Folklore podcast and video if I didn't believe in the possibility of the supernatural, and I do. So uh, I'm not going to say that voodoo is not real. I'm not going to, I don't know. I just don't know. So I hope you can see in this, in this uh, episode that Marie Laveau is not the person that many people think. She was not a dark, evil witch. She was a very complex person, a very surprising lady. She was um, not, you know, an evil sorceress, but she wasn't just a regular normal person either. She was, uh, based on sources, a very kind and generous woman. She was very helpful uh, and careful to really help the poor, the needy, the wretched people of her city, prisoners on death row. Also had to have been extremely clever and wily <laughs> and charismatic and even manipulative to to manipulate New Orleans high society like that and to collect information on the rich white people through their servants, through the hair salon and so forth. And she for sure was a devout Catholic. There's no doubt about that. Make no mistake about it though, she was a serious practitioner of New Orleans voodoo. And that came with all sorts of things, protection spells, love potions, all sorts of herbal help, but also the darker side, curses, hexes, retaliation, and black magic. And like I said, hoodoo is really where the black magic's at, which we'll see next time. To me, Marie Laveau is such a great character because she's the perfect representation of New Orleans. If you've been there, if you ever spent time there, or maybe you're from there, or have lived there like me, and you know the city, the city is incredibly complex. You know, how could she have been Catholic and voodoo at the same time? Well, not everything in life is black and white or good and evil. There's, there's gray, right? New Orleans itself is a city. It's at the same time good and bad. It's, it's light and dark. It's beautiful and hideous. It's authentic and touristy. It's sacred and unholy. It's uplifting. It's terrifying all at the same time. It's a city of good times and cheer and, and drunkenness and Bacchanalian kind of revelries. It's also a city filled with cemeteries. They're more, uh, I, I think, uh, well, I know this, that St. Louis number one or two has the most dead bodies in, in one place in the world. New Orleans has a lot of cemeteries, maybe not the most in the world, probably the most in the U.S. A lot of death in New Orleans, too, a lot of magic and death all at once. You know, it's a very Catholic place. It's a very voodoo place. So, uh, yeah, she kind of represents the city, right? Super complex, dark and light, good and bad. Finally, she is famed to have made the prophecy that anyone who is born in New Orleans will return there to die. Is it true? I don't know. Hmm. I was not born in New Orleans. I was born in Alexandria, Louisiana, so I'm not sure about that, but yeah. So I was always fascinated with the snake that she carried, the python. When I was in high school, I had, I, well, a friend of mine had a pet python that I kept for a little while to help him out. And I remember that the, the oh God, uh, I, I can't really move too much right now. Um, no sudden movements. Thank you for watching, and uh, as always, sleep well if you can.